Welcome to the Culture Builders podcast channel, looking at how individual and team performance builds strong cultures. Hosted by Jane Sparrow and Chris Preston. You are listening to a deep dive episode. Hello, I'm Jane Sparrow, founder and author at The Culture Builders, and I'd like to welcome you to today's podcast, where we'll be talking in particular about how you keep the culture you love when you scale up a business. And to do that, I am delighted to have with me Paul Knight, the Chief People Officer at Perform for many years, working in Perform and DAZN, and before that, working in organisations such as Burberry, the BBC, Guardian, Siemens, and doing some work with Rugby Premiership right now. So a glittering career. Welcome and thank you for joining us, Paul. Well, thank you, Jane. I don't think I could have had such a lovely introduction. I might record that and play it repeatedly um, when I'm feeling slightly down at any point. But it's an absolute pleasure to speak to you, Jane. As you, as you say, we've been together for quite some time now, over 10 years, I think it is. It is indeed, and and have been on many elements of the journey through that. And in fact, maybe that's a good place to start, because what I want to cover today is how we scale up and keep the culture we love from your experience in businesses that that really have been growing enormously quickly. But, But because you've got such a varied career... One of the things that we've often talked about together is the need to ensure that you've got your trophies in your cabinet and that you're really clear on all those trophy moments that you've had in your life that you can talk about that are intriguing and useful for others. So let's start off by telling us what are those trophies in your cabinet? Tell us a little bit about your career and some of the things that you've really delivered and contributed during your years in those different businesses. Yeah, thanks, Jane. Yeah, there's been, I've been really lucky, actually. I've had a really interesting career in um, HR and people functions um, over, you know, a fair length of time now. And there's a, there's a few moments that really stick out. I think everybody has those moments, don't they, in their, in their career. I think the, the first really great um, moment was uh, when I worked for Siemens, who are a huge, obviously huge German organisation, and we launched their outsourcing arm. And that was starting a business within a business if you like from scratch um i was uh, very young at that point i think it was about 26 or something like that and um i had a fantastic boss a lady called sarah fisher who's now very senior within microsoft and and she was just the best boss i'd had but at that point very enabling uh, allowed me to be me actually looking back at it we had a great laugh you know i did amazingly responsible things for somebody that was uh, quite so young. So, for example, we um, took on the whole of National Savings Investment. So they outsourced the entirety of their operational staff, which was about 2,000 odd people at the time. And um, it was massive. And and I was sent around to all these different locations and presented to hundreds of civil service um, people and, and, and managed a large part of that, 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 that part of that process. So that, that would be one of the first trophy moments, as you put it. And then um, I took a year out as you know and I went traveling for a while and I, I really decided that when I came back I wanted to work in environments that I was interested in so that's when I joined the BBC and had a brilliant I really enjoyed that as well a very different sort of environment from the one that I'd worked in previously quite bureaucratic but also obviously amazingly creative at the same time so again just a couple of things I enjoyed there were um, I worked at a, a, a 
shouldn't say strange, but interesting place just up the road from where I live in Reading, which is called BBC Monitoring. And they, um, they basically collected media from around the world, um, open source media, they call it, and developed that into products that they either sold or they then passed through to different government um, departments. So, and in there, I, I really think I brought a different type of HR to what they'd previously been used to. Um, and again, we managed um, big cultural change there. Um, unfortunately, big reduction in people, but in a way that actually strengthened the business and went to some amazing places. So I ended up going to Moscow, Azerbaijan, um, Uzbekistan, Ukraine. It was an incredible experience. Really brilliant. It's began, beginning to sound like a travel show, Paul. We'll have to do another yeah, travel so show arm and get some of your experiences from all of those wonderful places. Luckily, I've been travelling because I think otherwise I'd have been a little bit perturbed by some of the airports and places I ended up. But that was great. And then sort of BBC, another BBC highlight for me, I think, was when I worked for their studio and post-production department. So I was HR director for that area. And that again, that was all about um, Strictly Come Dancing and, you know, all that glamorous stuff. So it was really good fun. And we again, we, we really changed the model in, in the way that we operated then. And Paul, presumably that 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 also links to the podcast that I know you listened to that was uh, recorded recently, where we had Andrew Moultrie on from Studio Works, which which is exactly the the business that now exists that that you're referring to all those years ago. I think. Yeah, absolutely, it does. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to listen to that, and also to see how they've changed over. I mean, again, that's probably almost ten. Well, it's ten years this year that I think I left the BBC. So yeah, you're right. Absolutely great great commercial business and it sounds like they're really moving forward as well so then sort of I suppose whistles sort of up to sort of more recent history which is um as you said at the beginning the the role within perform now, there's so many moments so I don't know which one to pick to be honest Jane I, this it, it was an incredible six years journey I, I'll try and keep it brief we so we we came in and I say we I I joined I think I was the third person to join in the new function and we really transformed the HR or people function there. It, it performed, um, not many people will have heard of us, but it was it, it is a, um, a sports media organisation, digital broadcast, um, data, besides data to the likes of Match of the Day and Sky Sport, all around um, football and rugby and all of those good things. We did a lot of um, work for the betting industry, TV production. And then lastly, we, we developed a product called Design. But that... That, that's a, quite a big subject to talk about, Jane. So I don't know how we unpick that because that, I think that would be quite interesting for some people. I would love to unpick that because there's the whole piece in there around transforming the HR function, but actually growing it as well. And all of the aspects there around how the people area of the business really powers and, and helps scale growth, which I know is a is a hot topic for many people. And therefore, I really want to pick up on that. But, but get, just give us in, in your trophy cabinet, what's the thing you're most proud of, Paul? Well, there's two things, if I can. I know it's a one. I, I'm really proud of operating at the BBC at quite a senior level. And I know that's out. normally I'm not bothered about that kind of thing. But I, I was working with really highly intellectual individuals. And I don't come from that background. I, I don't have that, intellect, that, that kind of formal educational background. And I think I also managed to get quite a lot of change done. And in, in, as I said to you before, quite a bureaucratic, it was heavily unionized environment so I, I did really get a lot out of that and I really felt great about that and then the other bit is 
this last six years with Performer Design. I mean, I ended up, as you said, being the CPO for a division. We split the business in two, um, and I'd never done that before. So I think that that I'm really proud of being able to achieve that carving out of a business. I'd never done that before. I built, I, I had to design. You you helped Jane, obviously, when we look, we, we worked together on the visions and values there, but we set, we, you helped with setting up the executive team and supporting them. And we also, you know, I did all of the transactional stuff of splitting that business. I'm not, obviously, it's part of a wider team. It's not just me, but I, I led that and I was accountable for that. And I was really proud that we successfully managed to do that. And it was a big deal, right? And, and I think that in your career history and some of those trophies you've got in the cabinet, what I love is there's so much depth to each one and so much experience that you can bring us here today to, to hear about. So we're not going to have time for all of it. So let's major on the perform experience and the design experience and some of the things that you did there, particularly in terms of using the people function to really power the business to to scale that business up so d- tell us a little bit more about what did that look like you know the business is growing it's growing fast it's it's presumably not got a huge amount of structure from what I what I remember working with you but but tell us what what, what was key for you and what did you learn as you went through that process yeah I mean it was it, it was incredibly different uh, any from anything I'd ever experienced before it, it, from everything from the office, to be blunt, was not that pleasant when we first joined. Um, you know, the heating didn't work. It was overheating. It was crowded. Um, and it was completely, as you say, or not complete, but not, there's no structure in place, especially in the people function. So as you say, we, we joined when there was 800 people um, and they'd, they were a listed company at that point. And I think the chairman, who was a guy who used to run Sage, said, look, we need to put some more more people infrastructure in there. Now, that was at a very senior level. Everybody else was probably, on the whole, not entirely, but probably okay with how things were. They did what they wanted to do to some extent. And, you know, they had a very entrepreneurial spirit and they were, they were out there um, doing deals and, uh, and doing what they, they, they thought was right. And, and that was all great from a commercial business, but it was starting to creak from a people perspective because there was not much consistency in place. You know, they weren't really identifying their talent. They certainly had an attrition problem. They certainly had a problem in relation to um, recruitment and retaining uh, people through probation and, and on to become successful in a business. But I suppose my point, Jane, is that when we arrived, it wasn't like it, they, they, they welcomed us with open arms. We had to really make sure that, our, that they saw the value in what we were doing. Otherwise, they would just do it themselves. Um, so that will, that will, so what, what did I learn? I learned that as ever in any people function, you are a service to the business. So, you know, you have to understand the organization well, you have to build those relationships really quickly. Um, I learned that you have to just get on with stuff very quickly. I'd come from, as I said, bigger organizations that sometimes take a little bit longer to do things. Um, and in, in perform, it was certainly very quick and very fast paced. And, and it was it was kind of a methodology and they were happy with this, by the way, was it's good enough. Don't don't I don't need uh, uh, all singing, all dancing. Just make it as good as you can within the period of time. Let's get it out there. Let's see if it works. If it doesn't, we're, we're, we're happy to adapt and change. But we just need that kind of pace and momentum. 
And I love, I mean, I love working with businesses like that, like you do, that are the disruptors, the, the pacey innovation kind of ethos. And the, the, the whole sort of piece around, look, let's just try it and minimum viable product. Well, good yeah. enough. Let's try it. And if it doesn't quite work, we'll course correct and we'll find something that does work because it's quite, it's quite empowering, isn't it? Because it means you can just get on and do what you think is right rather than being slowed down by process when process actually isn't serving us well. But presumably you do need to put some structure in, did you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah, we do. Yeah, good point. It wasn't, it wasn't all just funds and games. So yeah, we, we, they didn't have anything that you would sort of imagine a business of that size to have, and I don't think it's uncommon actually. So yeah, we, we, we. Have, I mean, bo- not boring, but really important stuff like having to put in a system, an online system. To, well, we start from the beginning, Jane. We didn't know how many people employed. I always remember the first thing we did. We introduced an engagement survey, um, which is a really good idea to get a benchmark of how people were feeling out there they'd never done that before and actually trying to find email addresses to send them to you know was not an easy task so we you know there was a big part about data it's really important it's obviously the sexy part of HR but collecting all that data in a system we introduced um, performance management goal setting Um, we introduced a a talent process we did um, succession planning with them we did uh, great communications. We, we we really did major on um, engagement and communication. So monthly team talks, we called them, but equally pushing just basic stuff like making sure managers had one-to-ones with their people, making sure team meetings took place. Um, so yes, we did. We did put a fair, from what they'd been before, it would look like we put a lot of process in, but we were just playing catch up really, Jane, to get them to a point where there was a bit of infrastructure. We tried to not make it too heavy, but equally, you know, it would, everything we put in was to help and facilitate the continued growth, I would say. And, and how, how did you do that while still making sure that the culture that everybody loved stayed present and, and mm-hmm. real? You know, that culture of being innovative and let's go for it, let's try it, let's pivot, let's be agile, all of those wonderful things that a disruptor is... As you scaled up and you had to put that element of process and consistency in, how did you make sure that that didn't destroy the culture that was so critical to perform success? Yeah, I think that's a really good question, Jane. Now, I, I, uh, uh, sort of honesty here, I, I thought it'd be a, re- I thought they had a fantastic culture and always did, um, right, right to the point where I, I left the organisation and. It, it, but they weren't. It was interesting because they weren't keen to distill that into something that was you know, a classic set of values, or they weren't at the beginning anyway. So it it was being in tune with the business, being really embedded with it. Me, not just me, obviously, me and my colleagues, really understanding what they're about, making sure we didn't get in the way of that commercial element, making sure whatever we did, like the talent stuff that we, with the talent processes were based on, okay, we didn't write down what the values were, but we knew, everyone knew what the culture was of, you know, fast pace being a disruptor you know being quick not they, they weren't very political so that was great you know you know digging in if you like getting stuff done and we made sure subliminally almost that those were the things that got rewarded um, and those were the elements that continued I would say as it grew not if I'm honest not having something to anchor those things off wasn't 
became unhelpful because we got so many more people that were coming in from different organizations and it started to dilute dilute the great culture that reform had i think a little bit i think that's really interesting paul because we're working with a few businesses at the moment who have called us in to codify their culture which is exactly what you're talking about which is capturing what is the essence of what makes the organization fantastic and and as they grow therefore being able to talk to new people that come in to be able to keep the 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 source code the secret source that really makes them amazing and if you don't codify it if you don't capture it then it as you scale Mm. it is very hard Mm. to keep the amazing things about the culture as well as evolve so that you can continue to grow and scale up isn't it jane i I, look i 100 percent agree with you um because because that did happen i mean i'll be honest with you i think that did happen i thought uh, and the culture was held in individuals if you like that were there from the beginning but that got diluted because they couldn't influence you know so you know even i was there you know when it was still relatively small so i got the feeling of what the culture was like so basic stuff like when I interviewed I could give a really good view of what it was like and what we wanted people to be like and there was a number of us like obviously who had a similar experience but then you got to a point where that wasn't the case anymore and you know when we split the company in two I was really really happy that um, Ross McClecken who was the CEO for the perform business uh, when we first started it really wanted to do that work with values he in fact I remember speaking to him the first year I was up before in 2013 at a social event and, you know, he goes, oh, yeah, I think it's a great idea. Let's do it. You know, and it took us, I think, well, obviously it took us like four or five years to actually realise that. But, you know, if anybody's listening to this, I think it really is important because otherwise it does that sort of secret source, as you call it, Jane, dilutes and not always in a good way. Absolutely. And, and it was great to do that work with you and with Ross and the rest of the team in Perform as as you separated so that it was clear what Perform was and, and, and what some of those values were. But I want to come back to that that separation in a minute and what you learned from that, because I think that's going to be very interesting for those listening. But but before we do that, just tell me, you mentioned that the, the leaders just now. Tell me, leaders are obviously a key and and in any business that's scaling up and that is going to be successful doing that, having the right talent in the right places and the right leaders in the right places is is, is a must. What, what did you do to make sure that you did have the right people in the right place? And, and how did you develop and ensure that the leaders were right for growth as opposed to maybe what, what had been right right at the very beginning? It's an excellent question. What did we do? There were there were some strong leaders that were successful so already and and were good at um, the growth element of it and we looked at what made them successful and, and made sure that when we were recruiting and promoting that we ensured that that was happening we also they hadn't ever had any kind of management development before which i know isn't the answer to everything but we introduced some uh, extensive training actually uh, across the whole of the management population and and for those listening this company operated in over 40 different countries so this wasn't a uk based organization so we did that um, and we we developed a number of programs that helped people to understand what being a good manager was and also in the recruitment process making sure that we were really clear about the sorts of people we wanted 
um, in our business going forward. Now, we didn't always get it right, Jane. Uh, no business does, does it? And certainly some of the external hires particularly sometimes didn't work because they had the, they sometimes came from bigger organizations and they weren't used to that high levels of accountability you have in a smaller company. But we got quite a lot of it right. I think we had some great leaders in different places. Um, we also, sorry, the other really important thing is when we looked at our engagement survey, we did an engagement enablement is how we operated. And we did look at where those high engagement areas were. And we did, we did, we did develop those individuals where we knew they were doing good stuff and making sure that they were, you know, not always promoted, but given more responsibilities um, going forward. And so obviously that is key because what I saw working with you is some of those individuals progress quite quickly where they had obviously got great people skills, but also commercial skills. And so they had that beautiful match that, that was making the business successful. But, but in terms of reward then and how you rewarded that, because I can imagine that in a highly growing business as, as Perform was and, and DAZN uh, later as well, that, that the reward has to be for commercial results Mm. but Mm. but as you were scaling up and you wanted to keep that culture in place I'm wondering to what extent did you also reward the right behaviors you've kind of mentioned that with the engagement survey and enablement results but but what else did you do in terms of reward and recognition to make sure that you had a good blend between the commercial and the behavioral aspects in the business I don't think we did enough on the behaviors of again if I'm full disclosure I think we could have done more on that side of things looking back now but the way we rewarded, I mean, it, it, I know it's, it's falling out of fashion a little bit, but we did have a, a, a clear commercial versus personal performance element. And, and the personal performance was based on a really well embedded, actually, at the end, goal setting methodology, which did actually not even, again, even though we might not have overtly talked about um, behaviors and values, the goals often did reflect us, them having to achieve things in certain ways. And certainly when we had the conversations about who was getting rewarded, what we did have that five scale, you know, um, point system, a big conversation was not just about how they achieve those particular goals, but how not, sorry, not what they achieved, but how they achieved it. But again, if I look back, I think some, and if anybody's listening to this, I would say that's really important as well. It goes with the other previous conversation about codifying the values. I think you need to codify the behaviors because otherwise it becomes a bit subjective because it's one person's view against someone else's view. But that's how we did it. You're right. It was a big commercial um, reward element. So two thirds was commercial and a third was from um, how they actually personally performed. And so therefore that says to me that, that that was also very much making sure that the business targets were baked into people's work, which of course is a, a real characteristic of disruptive organizations that grow rapidly just tell me a bit more about that how did you make sure that that the sort of the business targets were baked into to people's work each day and that people were really aligned to the overall direction of the organization particularly as you were acquired more and and Mm. and you grew globally yeah it's so what we did um was a classic goals cascade i suppose i mean the guys that ran it were very good at articulating what they wanted really good actually you know really simple ways i mean for example i just remember one year they would talk about right we need five we're going to acquire five sets of rights um sports rights this year or something like that but so everybody could you could really grasp it even if you were you know a data collector going out to a a football match you could understand 
what that was and then it, it was hard work really to be honest Jane like pushing down at the goals making sure we communicated that really clearly doing really basic things like making sure even the senior team were sharing each other's goals so they all aligned I facilitated that in the areas that I was responsible for and then communication I have to say and I think this has been a trait of my job for probably now 15 years communication massive part of um the people function now and we, and we did a lot we did a lot of work just setting context I'm a huge advocate of context setting I if you even if you went back and you talked to the people that I used to work with I think that's one of the things they remember about me is it, it set the context really clearly for people so they understand where they fit into what we're trying to achieve sometimes they may not like it but at least you've you've explained it and they've understood it and then they know what they're trying to do. So we did a lot of stuff around context setting, a lot of stuff around communication. And then the really nitty gritty stuff to make sure people actually had goals that looked decent. You know, we we dived into the system and looked at what they've written, which was quite amusing at the beginning. Like one person had a goal that said, I want to be promoted this year, which um, was quite interesting. But that 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 it was a mix of different things, really along those lines but what I what really struck me when I started working with the business was just how much pride I came across um, and one of the things we did was ask people to tell us about what they were proud about as we were formulating the vision and values as you'll remember and just the stories of of people bursting with with pride around what they did every day every week and how connected they felt to the impact they were having was was quite astonishing and and and, and amazing to watch so I think some of what you're talking about in terms of that that link and the communication the context really did make a huge difference in terms of the pride in the organization that certainly we witnessed in the work that we did with you over the years oh that's that's uh, i know you've said that before but it's great to hear again i think it did i i just was mad i, I just put one of you know everybody has their personal values don't they and i think that was one for me is under, you know make really being clear about the context we were lucky in some ways because we had a great subject matter at sports a lot of people that work there love sports but you can't just let that go. You have to still work on it and and kind of create it and make sure it, it's still bubbling along because you can't just rely on the fact that it's a, a great product and a great area to work in. Couldn't agree more. Now, now let's just finish off on, on the area of, of the separation because, again, there's so much more in that trophy cabinet that we could <laughs> talk about. But the separation it, it is something that some people listening may have been through, some may not. And certainly if you're in the role you were in, you know, the chief people officer, that, that's a huge a uh, hugely big role to play when you're separating organisations and, and the complexity of that. So rather than tell us what you did, tell us what were the things that really stick with you that you that you have learned that might be useful to share? Give us a, a few insights to, to what you've taken away from that experience. Yeah, I, it, I can tell you how I felt as well, if that's useful. But um, I felt like it was probably one of the most stressful experiences I've had at work, that's for sure. Um, and probably one of the most emotional experiences at work that I've had at work. What what I learned was to, I think, I suppose, summing up is to trust myself a little bit more. So I got my confidence because I've not done it before. So I've never split a business before. And Perform was a business that gave you lots of great opportunities, but you were kind of expected to get on with it. And I'm not 
saying that's good or bad, but it was kind of right, here you go, Paul, this is a great opportunity, which it was. Um, off you pop and, and see, see, how, see how you do. So I had to research all of it, understand what you're meant to do and, and all those sorts of things. And I got to a point where I was slightly not as cool. I mean, I, this is just me being open and honest. There's a point where I thought, oh, Christ, I'm not quite sure what I should be doing here. And I brought in some help and that help had a negative effect, not a positive effect. And then external help from, uh, and, and then once I really was clear about what needed to be done, my confidence came back again. So what I learned was to be confident in yourself. Often you probably know more and, than you think you do. Um, the whole team thing is always massively important. So it, understanding that, the, you know, it is quite very stressful for other people when you are in that role, you have to support them so hopefully I was empathetic and supported my direct reports during that time because it's quite difficult for them and we had a whole thing around obviously some people stayed at the zone and others came to perform so you have to manage that that was quite tricky and yeah and I and I think yeah I think those were the, the main elements that I learned apart from obviously all the technical bits you know around how do you actually do it and of course, all of those technical bits, technical bits about how you actually do it are really, really key and foundational, aren't they? So you've got that for the future as you continue your glittering career <laughs> and and also the, the, the pieces that, that you took with you to that anyway. And I think your point around the, the confidence is a really good one, because if we are thrown a challenge in our careers that is a bit different and, and is new, having the confidence to say, hang on, I go back to the, the phrase I use about the trophy cabinet. I've got the trophies in my cabinet that are going to help me through this, that, that are actually going to help me to thrive and really make a difference. And, and it is just pausing for a moment and reminding ourselves, actually, we can do this. And, mm. and then that, that sort of regaining that confidence and centering ourselves again, putting ourselves back on our axis and then going for it is something that, that I see constantly a lot when I'm, I'm coaching leaders who, who are thrown a challenge like, like you've just described. And, and yet they thrive. And, and then there are more trophies in the cabinet to take away. So listen, yeah. Paul, there is so much more we could talk about, but I'm conscious that, um, that we, maybe we'll have you back on for a, a part two at some point yeah. uh, and see where you go next in your career. But for now, I, I've you. loved talking to you. I've loved taking away just how in tune you and your team were. And, and when you talk about we a loss, it just reminds me what an inclusive leader you are, because a lot of that was actually you driving things. But but that, you know, being in tune with the culture, making sure that you really do provide that context and that communication throughout whatever is going on, I think is is really good reminder for anyone listening. But for now, Paul, thank you so much for joining us. And we look forward to talking to you again at some point in the future. Thanks, James. Absolute pleasure as usual. Thank you for listening. Continue the journey at www.theculturebuilders.com.